listening to the City World Radio Network, high-definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world, www.cityworldradio.com. And cars couldn't know which one was which And finding me a chicken getting hitched Living the fairy tale life perfect without a ditch You think that this would bring me happiness If at the end of every rainbow there was a treasure chest Sometimes having more is really less Take a look inside yourself, you realize you're really blessed No matter how you're sad and blue There's always someone who has it worse than you Sometimes you gotta pay your dues So don't worry, just push on through Keeping it real Gotta dig up all my peoples who'll be working on the future Though they know they gotta struggle Keeping it real So all my homies working on the 9 to 5 And doing right to keep themselves up out of trouble Keeping it real Although sometimes I know it seems impossible There ain't no need in counting in your sorrow Keeping it real If things are as bad as they can be You could be sure to be a brighter tomorrow I never got to have myself the house, the mansion, and the beds I'm not the kind Welcome of to Morph Mom Moments uh, we're thrilled to be here tonight. We have some amazing guests, and we're actually implementing a new thing tonight. We're going to break it into a few segments. And I could not be more honored and excited to introduce Lucy Danziger, who's our our host and our guest, rather our guest, for the first segment tonight. Um, I also want to introduce Elizabeth Lentz, my co-host for the evening. And Elizabeth, if you would do me a favor and share the call-in number. You can call us at 212-631-7553. That's 212-631-7553. So please free feel, feel free to call in um, at any time. Uh, just a quick introduction for those of you who are new to Morph Mom Moments. And again, I apologize to those who have been here before and don't really want to hear this again. But very quickly, um, I am Kathleen Smith. I'm the founder of Morph Mom, of Morph Mom which is M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. Again, M-O-R-P-H-M-O-M.com. To understand it more, you can go to the site. And basically, Morph Mom is to connect women, to connect women on any level that we possibly can. Those who can share what they've done and how they did it with those who need some help and are looking for some mentoring and need to get where they are. Um, so what we have, I have a website where I interview people around the country and share their stories and the steps they took. There is a network within the site itself where you can sign up and connect with others very privately and directly within the site. I host cocktail parties around the country where we connect women in person. Um, and now we have this amazing radio show, and I also write for the Huffington Post. So I welcome you to go on to morphum.com and kind of see what's out there and reach out to me if you have a story you want to share or just want to get involved. But enough about me, as everyone out there is listening and <laughs> saying, let's get to Lucy Danziger. So we are thrilled to have you here tonight, and welcome. Thank you so much. First of all, I really appreciate what you're doing for women because just the word morph and mom don't always go together. And one of the things I have always believed in is that you are allowed to evolve and you're allowed to be whoever you want to be in this world. And that means you can morph 
and you can be a mom. And don't let other people slot you into one category because I'm a mom and I'm an Iron Man. I'm a mom and I scooter. I'm a mom and I'm a founder of an internet company that I probably never should have embarked on if I'd known any better. I mean, usually the founders are 30 years younger than I am. So I'm just sitting here in admiration of you because you morphed by starting this radio show. So congratulations to you. Well, I can't thank you enough for that. And actually, what you said really defines the entire reason of Morphom. Like, there's, it's never too late. It's never, ever too late. And one thing I always try to emphasize is, and especially to my daughter, who is 19 years old, failure is not a bad thing. It, yeah. it doesn't necessitate that everything goes wrong. In, right. in essence, it makes you stronger. Wait, can I add to the, to the cliche that I love, which is it's never too late. I want to add one that's sort of Benjamin Button-esque, which is it's never too early. That it's never too early means stop waiting to ripen on the vine. Just do it. Just go. Just say yes and jump ahead into the life you want to lead. I used to have to do budgets for my magazine, and it was like – where do you want to be in five years? And I said, that is such a dangerous question because the minute I answer it, I want to be there now. Hmm. I want to be there right now. So it's never too early to start being the person you want to be. I agree. And I want to interrupt for one second. As I said tonight, we're going to break into two segments. And Lucy is here and we're going to talk about, and we're about to get there, hinted.com. But I also want to welcome Julie and Malcolm who have just arrived. And I have to throw out there, I gave them the wrong address, so I have to apologize. I do mix up my numbers on occasion, and they've just arrived, and I want to welcome you to the conversation as well. And we're currently talking with Lucy right now, and at about and halfway through, we're going to switch over and talk about make some noise tonight. So in general, this entire hour is going to be devoted to making some noise. So I welcome you both, and please become involved in this conversation as well. Um, we're, we're thrilled to have you. Um, so Lucy, I'm going to come back to you now. Um, Tell me about yourself. Let's start with Hinted.com and the journey to get there. Okay. So I had a career as a, actually as a writer at the Star-Ledger in Newark. And then I segued from there to magazines. And I spent literally, don't be shocked, 25 years in magazines. And I loved it. I loved being at magazines. I love the visual side of it. I love the intelligence of all the people who work in magazines. And I love the fact that as a magazine, you could really help women and your readers live a better life. So when I left Self 18 months ago, I thought, you know, I'm devoted to putting the woman at the center of the conversation or the, or the reader, the user, and make it about her or the user. And I say, or the user, because guys are on our site too. We've got about 43% guys. But generally, I wanted to make user-generated content have a real impact. So what we did was we created Hinted.com, and the idea was you make your ultimate wish list, and you can put anything on it from anywhere, and then share it with your family or your friends or whoever wants to know what to buy you for your birthday or Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate. And we really wanted to allow users to tell the universe what they want. Because I believe that you should be able to express what you want to the world. And hopefully, people who love you are going to help you get that thing, whether it's, you know, go to the Rangers game tonight or, you know, a gift that you really want or become the person you want to be. So Hinted is really a sort of cosmic sort of discussion with the universe to say, I'm going to tell people what I want. And hopefully the people who really, really love me are going to help me achieve that. I love this idea. And we were talking earlier where it's not just about, it could be a book. It could be 
it could be something so small to something so large. Yeah, it could be priceless. Priceless is a gift of time. So let's say it's come pick out my wedding dress with me because if I do it with my mom, we're going to fight. Or it could be <laughs> uh, come work out with me because I love this yoga instructor and I've been talking about it. I really want you to understand why. Um, it could be a gift of charity. Um, I support Cycle for Survival, which supports um, MSK, which is um, a great cancer hospital here in New York. And I support Challenge Athletes Foundations. And people used to give me orf, uh, orchids. And I'd, I'd look at these orchids and think, I'm going to kill that plant. That's a future dead plant. I'd rather have $100 go to Cycle for Survival or to Challenge Athletes Foundation rather than to a future dead plant. So I kept looking at orchids thinking, how can I have people stop giving me future dead plants and start giving me something that has a meaning and could help the world become a better place? So that if everybody just had their little hinted list, I would know your charity, you would know my charity, or my soap, or whatever, it doesn't even matter, but we would be able to like really connect. Which is exactly why, you know, it's funny how things happen and people come together for a reason. And when I noticed on your site, on Hinted.com, the charity thing, and tonight Julie and Malcolm are here to talk about Make Some Noise, they're just, there's something in the universe that makes right. us all connect for yeah, some reason. definitely. And that's what I love about Hinted.com. Like we said, it encompasses everything. Good. So it, it really does. And I have to be honest, the last 24 hours, I've been on it. And there are many, many things I'd like. But you can also hint at anything you want. So like my son is on it. And he said to me, Mom, you know, actually, it's super cool because I could put on like sports equipment and Giants tickets and a Rangers jersey. So I went to get him a Rangers jersey. It's $150. <laughs> That's a really expensive thing to buy somebody. But he's like, I'd rather have that than a sweater. Another sweater is going to not make me happy, but a Rangers jer <laughs> jersey I can wear to the game. I'm like, okay. So he had to tell me what number, what name, what size. It was like very specific because if you get it wrong, you've wasted all that money. So I went to the NHL store and I picked it all out. But it's like Hinted.com helps people understand who you are right now, what mm. you care about right now. And that's really the gift. You give a hint of who you are, what your values are about right now. And that connection is so much more meaningful than if I'd given him 150 bucks. It's true, right? At, at every holiday, you sit there and think, well, what am I going to do? And you're racing out to do things when you could be doing something so much more meaningful. Right. And either being the, the gift or a donation to the charity or whatever right. it is, but to walk away feeling like it, you knew the person. Well, so my, some... my hinter, one of our hinters said, my husband was blown away. He said to me, I feel like I didn't even know you. You wanted to go to the U.S. Open? You like that chair? Like, who are you? I'm married to you. And then we said, well, do you even know your best friend's favorite color? Do you know, like, what people who are in your life really, really want? Because every little list becomes sort of a self-portrait in your values and stuff and things and experiences. Like, I might want to go to, you know, I don't know some South American country and my husband wants to go to China and we got to work that out. But like, I didn't even know he wanted to go to China and he didn't know I wanted to go to South America. So it's kind of fun because it, it sparks these little conversations. You might not ever get that thing, but just telling the universe that you want it is sort of part of the fun. I think that's a really interesting thing too. Like you're right. It just, it adds to the conversation. So when you're sort of sitting there, it just brings a whole new realm into it. Right. Um, so let me ask you a question. Let's go back a little bit. Tell me about your journey to get 
where you are today. Okay, well, it's a long, boring story, but I'm going to try and make it super short. So <laughs> I was always super athletic, and I got the opportunity to launch a magazine about women and sports for Connie Nast, and it lasted about three years. It was called Women's Sports and Fitness, and everybody said, oh, you're so ahead of your time, which is like death. Because if you're ahead of your time, it really means no one gives a two hoots about what you're talking about. Someday they might, but right now, uh uh-uh. So then I was working for myself for a year and the editor of Self went to Glamour and they called me up and said, do you want to come back and edit Self? And I was like, yes, a million thousand percent. That is the magazine that is of its time. So it was about helping people be you know, healthy and fit and happy and feel like their authentic self from the inside out. So I was there for over 12 years. And I would say 10 of those years were super fun. And we were having a great time selling ads, selling magazines. And then digital publishing came along and it was much harder to monetize and people really didn't need magazines the way they used to and you know the magazine world is in transition so we have to figure out how to monetize all that great digital content out there so i basically lost my job which was both sad and the right timing i mean my daughter said to me at my 10th anniversary itself how long would you stay if it was up to you and i was like 10 years so You could argue that the last two years were not as fun as the first 10, but I loved my job. I loved Conde Nast. I loved the bosses. It is not the Devil Wears Prada. It is truly a creative place where people get to, like, think of ideas and try to bring them to the page and connect with their readers, and there are brilliant people there who are devoted. So then I left, and I decided I really wanted to open my own digital media company, and I wanted to put the reader in the middle, and then add editorial content, curated content. But I also wanted to solve this problem in my life of what do you give somebody you care about? When I got to self, they gave flowers at birthdays. And I thought, okay, maybe not everybody hates flowers. I kill orchids. But I really wanted to do something selfie, so I gave them sneakers. And then I realized, you're too. It's like, wait, somebody might not need sneakers or think I'm telling them to go running. That's not fair. <laughs> not everybody likes to run. Maybe it should be training or massage or a pedicure or whatever. My editorial uh, creative director wanted a saddle because she was riding polo ponies. And that became incredibly expensive. And I was like, this is ridiculous. I just need everybody to tell me what they want so that it's not like this sleuthing thing where I have to sneak around and say to their assistant, like, what do you think she really wants? And then I get like this very specific, well, she goes to a trainer in Greenwich three times a week and that's what she wants. I was like, oh my God, this is so hard. (laughs) Send me a link. And then my niece graduated from college and everyone said to me, what does she want? I was like, I don't know. What do you want? She was like, I don't know. And she was sort of coy. And the real answer was, what are you going to (laughs) spend? So is it 50 or 250 or more? So she made a PowerPoint presentation for my brother. I was like, I need that, but it should be cheaper. So then she put some cheaper stuff on and I bought it for her. But I used to have to give her stuff and say like, I bought these boots at Tory Burch. Please return them. They're really expensive if you don't want them. I don't want you to keep them because I spent all this money. And so these Freakonomics guys came out with something called deadweight loss, which means if I give you a sweater worth $100 and you think it's worth $5, is deadweight loss, never to be recouped by anybody in the entire economic system. So the problem with gifting is it's inefficient, it's uneconomical, you waste money, people think you don't get them. And Stanford did a study saying the gift giver wants to discover something cool for the recipient. The recipient just wants to know that you listen to them. Hmm. Like, I told you what I wanted. If you don't buy it for me, is it because you hate me or you don't like my taste or you really don't care or something that you want? I mean, how many times have you been given a gift? You go like, really? 
I can't believe you don't get me. So the wrong gift drives a wedge between that relationship and the right gift can cement it. So the happy ending to the to the graduation story is my son graduated last year from a very prestigious school. I will tell you Dartmouth because he rode and he was a jock and he couldn't have ever gotten in otherwise. Sorry, honey. But <laughs> let's be honest. He was like a fabulous athlete. And so he gets out of school and he gets this amazing job at HBO. And I'm like, make your list. And by then we had this tiny little beta and he made a list. He put on it a backpack for $175 that he really wanted for his HBO job to bring his um, computer to work. So my stepmother goes on and she had asked the year before, what does Revel want? My niece. And I can't compete with all the wealthy, wealthy relatives. Just make it cheap. They never came to grips. I don't know if they even got a present at that point. So she gets my son. A year later, she gets my son this backpack, 175 bucks. He loves it. It's like, how's work? It's great. I still wear the backpack. They talk all about HBO. She's a literary agent. She has a you know documentary um, being made about one of the books that she did. It's a Pulitzer Prize-winning book all about the Martin Luther King days at HBO. They talk all about HBO because of the backpack. For $175, if she'd given him the money, he would have blown it one night in Brooklyn, beers, friends, forget it, cabs, we're done. Malcolm, don't listen to that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, my son is now 21. He's allowed to drink. But the point is, the meaning of the backpack became a glue between his step-grandmother and his job and his life. And he loves the backpack. And he sent her a picture of himself with the backpack on the first day of work. Like, I'm wearing it. And then it was all this, like, great connectivity. So... The list becomes a way to connect. And cash is crass. I'm sorry, it is. It's just like, here, you give me money and I'll give you money. It's all very transactional or it's, you know, you give me a gift card and I'll never spend it. And then Amazon makes money and we all get screwed. (laughs) But, you know, it's like the list is the meaning and the value that you bring to a relationship that gifting really is about, I care about you. I want to give you something that you love and I want to connect and understand you so grandparents really need this and 21 year olds really need this because it's really hard to tell somebody like well what are you willing to spend you know that's an awkward moment so we sort of circumvent all this and we say hinting is happening but we just make it really really easy sorry long answer no actually it's a great answer it's actually sitting here thinking really as you're saying this a gifts that have meant a great deal to me that i keep to this day that i still have that may have been something so small at the time but means more to me than anything else I've ever received. So, and So Malcolm, actually, I have a question for you. I'm going to bring you into this right now. Right. So Malcolm, who's 17, is there something that you remember getting as a gift that really meant a great deal to you? And I'm kind of putting you on the spot right now, but actually, I'm actually fascinated by this now that when you said that, it brings us into an entirely different realm. Right. So something, a connection that you made with someone along the line that knew enough about you to really to get give it you right. something to get it right. To really get it right. Um, I don't know how applicable this is, but when uh, when I was going through my cancer treatments, um, my whole class knew that I wanted an Xbox 360. Um, so right before my surgery, they I had kind of like a farewell type gathering at the school, um, and we were all kind of just we were there. I was in front of all of them, and they. Um, one of the teachers that was for my grade um, came and said that the class has something they wanted to give me. So um, I, th- I forget the the kids who brought it up, but they, they brought it up um, and I unwrapped it and saw it was an Xbox 360 and I just had the biggest smile on my face. 
Uh, and that's how I got my Xbox addiction. That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something you can do through chemo and everything, right? Exactly, yeah. Right. The, the Xbox was my escape because I was, uh, in real life, I was this little ball kid that was mm-hmm. hung up in a, surger- in a, in a, a huge cast and in the hospital all the time. Um, and this Xbox gave me a, a way to kind of just go into a different world and I was still connected with my friends through the internet right. and everything like that. And it was, that was probably the, the best example I have. That's a good one. Awesome. So a friend of mine went through sarcoma at MSK and she was a big spinner and she started something called Cycle for Survival. And I worked with her on it. I gave her an award itself. Um, her name was Jennifer Lynn. And so I heard her whole story. We became very, very good friends. And she was, as she said, bald. And her doctor said, you know, how do you feel? And she goes, okay, listen, I need a spin bike in my room because you can make me bald, but I can't be fat and bald <laughs> because that is not who I am. So she started spinning at the hospital and then she came back to Equinox and she and her spin instructor started this thing. Her name's Vicky Masood. And all these spin instructors were like, here's the thing, we want to get involved. So they all started raising money. They raised about $70 million for these so-called orphan cancers, rare cancers at MSK. And I was very much involved with telling the story about why this is super important because if you can start to sort of throw the kitchen sink at all these things, something's going to stick. And you're going to start to cure all sorts of cancers that you don't expect. And it's all because of risk-taking. And one of the things that I loved about Jennifer's story, it's like your Xbox. She said, you know, the spin bike made me feel more like myself again. And that gets back to like who you authentically are. And I've heard a lot of women say, you know, I I really wanted to feel like I looked like myself. So they got wigs or they got prosthesis or whatever they needed to feel like you look like yourself. And the minute you look like yourself again, you feel like yourself, and then that's the road to recovery. So for you, whether you had your avatar and you were blowing people up or you were, like, <laughs> you know, stealing cars or whatever, that that Xbox allowed you to feel like yourself and find the road back to hell. So they gave you a very important gift there. That was a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I mean, there's the new Xbox now and everything, but uh, I still have that that same Xbox that they they gave. Yeah, me. that's great. Yeah. And you know, and I'm sure that they appreciated the fact that they made you happy while you were going through an ordeal, which is not always fun. So yeah, sometimes it's it's hard to find the right thing to do for someone that's going through an illness like that. And yeah, they definitely hit the nail on the head. Well, one of the things that uh, we have is these priceless gifts, right? So you can go sit in the hospital with somebody and play games while they're on chemo, or you can just like hang out with them or whatever. And these are like small gifts of time that mean the world to the person going through it. Yeah, like it's absolutely. a bummer to sit in that chair by yourself. It's a whole lot more fun if your friends there and you're playing cards, you're online and you're checking Facebook and it makes you feel like yourself again, right? Yeah. Um and there were a lot of my classmates that came down to to visit me whenever they could. Um a friend of mine named Adam actually um suspended his birthday party because wow. I couldn't be there. So he came down from Morristown to Philadelphia. Wow for his birthday party and he brought a cake and everything and were you at johns hopkins uh children's hospital philadelphia oh that's great oh god that's so great one of my old high school roommates is uh in the i think she's chief of surgery there um that is a great hospital so you know the thing about treatment as we all know is like 
if you have a great set of doctors, you feel like, you know, you're going to get through this and it's a bummer to go through it, but you're going to be fine. Yeah, definitely. That's, um, when, when we first got to CHOP, which is an ironic name for a bad cancer, <laughs> um, when we first got there, uh, my mom was trying to do research to figure out where the right place was to go, mm-hmm. um, not even knowing at the time that we were in the right place already. That's um, great. Because CHOP's been ranked number one, and uh, right. they've definitely earned it. Well, one of the things I want to do with Hinted is have each of the um, nonprofits make a list, because something like CHOP might want you know, games, toys, whatever it is the kids need to like feel like they're themselves. And, you know, we in the world of, you know, not having a clue what to give other than write checks could definitely use a hinted list so that if like the kids, the pediatrician um, who's in charge of the whole like kids ward said to me, here's what we need and bring it down here and you know it's these items on our hinted list i would love to work with them and make these nonprofit lists yeah a lot of uh it's interesting that um when you're in children's hospital there's a ton of stuff for kids mm-hmm. um that are like infants toddlers whatever but then once you get to like 10 right. 12 13 14 teenagers so teenagers yeah um, once you get to that point, there's not really anything. Yeah. No, it's true. There. Um, so my my college, I mean, my high school uh, roommate had cancer when she was 17, and I went out to the Mayo Clinic and visited her. And you know, there's no roadmap. There's no roadmap for 17 year olds. It sucks because it's like you're too old for the toys. You're too young to be a grown up. I mean, you don't need a wig. And so it's like if you made a hinted list about like the perfect thing for a 17 year old who's going through treatment. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting because at the time I was 10 and, you know, it, you still kind of think of a 10-year-old as a, as a kid. Um, but my mom will, will say that I I'm, I'm always have been an old soul. <laughs> so I was, right. uh, I was fitting in with where uh, the teenagers should have been. Right. And there wasn't really much for me to do. But what was great, um, the first... I guess, uh, exposure I had to the Xbox mm-hmm. was these um, kiosks that would roll around on the cancer floor and you could bring one to your room. So whenever we got to the cancer floor, I would just tell my mom, go find an Xbox kiosk <laughs> and we're keeping it for the week. That's so <laughs> funny. Well, see, that's great because it can help you escape whatever you're feeling physically. You can mentally check out and go somewhere else. It's great. Yeah, and it it helped me to count down the seconds until... Mm-hmm. I would be unplugged and head back home. Yeah, you know, like uh, most people twice your age haven't been through what you've been through. So you're an old soul, but you've also experienced a lot. So hats off to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's not easy. I, I always say empathy is earned. And it's like the most special people are people who understand empathy without having to go through stuff that you've been through. And honestly, you may become a doctor or whatever you're going to become. You're going to be super empathetic because you've been through some stuff. Yeah, I think it's, uh, for doctors especially, um, there was actually a nurse on the cancer floor when I was there who had had the same cancer that I did, Ewing sarcoma. Wow. Um, and she had one leg, and she she was actually faster than a lot of the nurses right. that were already there. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so um, my roommate lost her leg to bone cancer, and she became an Olympic athlete in skiing. She won a bronze. Then she became a coach for people coming back from Afghanistan and war zones who had, you know, shrapnel injuries. And she had two kids, 
she's still around today. She's amazing. She's like a skier and a coach. And, you know, they gave her a pretty grim prognosis when we were in school. And she's still around. And we were super, super nice to her because, you know, we always thought she was going to die. And she never died. And she was so funny. She was like, wait, <laughs> when you thought I was dying, you were so nice to me. And then now you're normal to me. I liked it better when you, like, thought I was dying so that you'd be nice to me. I know I was the like, feeling. I know, but you know what? <laughs> Dude, like, you're normal. So, like... Get over it. We're not going to carry your shit, and you're going to have to, like, <laughs> sorry, you're not supposed to swear. But anyway, so as you get better and better and better, people treat you more and more normally. You're going to be like, mm-hmm. wait, wait, wait. I'm the one you were supposed to be nice to. It's like, yeah, no. No, you're normal. Sorry. We, we, have, yeah. a, we have a friend who um, was diagnosed with neuroblastoma when she was 15 months old and um, continued to fight it for years and years and years. And when she was in kindergarten, somebody wasn't being nice to her at recess, and she said, you have to be nice to me. I have cancer. <laughs> right, right. Right. Well, we got away with hell. I was at a boarding school, and it was senior year, and she came back to school with her, you know, stomp and her prosthesis, and she was the coxswain on the boys' varsity rowing team with all the cute boys. And I was like, <laughs> you're getting a lot of nice treatment here with these cute <laughs> boys. So we had a dinner party one night at our dorm room, and we had a little kitchenette. And the head of the dorm was the math department chief. And he comes up and he goes, oh, what are you cooking? And he looks in the pot. We're cooking for the boys. We're cooking like pasta. And then he looked in the fridge and he goes, what are you serving? There was beer there. And I thought, we're all about to be thrown out of school. (laughs) And he goes, okay, everything looks good. And he walked out. And I turned to her and I said, thank God for cancer. We're all good. We can drink in our dorm because they wouldn't dare throw you out. And she was like, I know, right? Like, let's party. (laughs) So we were 18 and living the dream because all the school elders thought that this girl was not long for this planet. And I'm not going to lie to you. It's like 40 years later. We're still here. It was awesome. It was great. We use that as a great excuse. But, you know, the other part of it is I am a triathlete. I get out of the water after all these amputees, and I'm like, okay, so I have four limbs, you have three, and you beat me. I hate that. It's like these athletes are such good athletes, and it like they learn to adapt, you know? It's like not an excuse. They're out there doing triathlons, and that's how I got involved with Challenge Athletes Foundation mm-hmm. because I thought – Everyone deserves to feel like an athlete. It doesn't matter what the physical equipment you have or don't have. You're still going to beat me, you know, (laughs) with the right equipment. You're going to still beat me. Well, now that we've been discussing this, Malcolm, I'm going to ask you quickly for those listeners out there who are not familiar with your story. Can you give us sort of a background about your story and how you came to be with us today? Sure. Um, So my name is Malcolm. You guys, you, you all know that. And his um, mom, Julie, is sitting right next to him, too. So, Julie, I want you to speak as well. Um, so I was diagnosed with uh, a form of pediatric bone cancer called Ewing sarcoma when I was 10 years old in December of 2008. Uh, and I was misdiagnosed for months because people or doctors, um, doctors, I'm using air quotes, um, <laughs> thought that it was growing pains, um, which... To an extent, they were right, um, but I also had a massive tumor on my right hip that ended up breaking the growth plate on my hip. Uh, so they were sort of right, I guess, but not really. Um, so they they saw, we, we finally, my mom actually was my advocate and um, demanded that we had an MRI. And once we got the results, or once the doctor saw the results from the MRI, he was like, oh, this is bad. Um, and he sent us straight to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, we really hit the ground running. I had a biopsy. 
um, the second day that I was down there to kind of make sure that it was what they thought it was. Right. Um, and then I started chemo after four days, I think. Did they um, have to cut the whole thing out? Yeah, so the, the protocol for my surgery was, um, I should remember this, it was six rounds of chemo um, in which they kind of, the goal of that was to shrink my tumor, which was from the bottom of my rib cage to halfway down my femur. Wow. Um, and I should uh, say that as well, that this form of cancer is normally measured in millimeters. Right. Where mine is grapefruit. Exactly. (laughs) Well, the first thing is that you should have felt vindicated. I mean, one of the things that so many patients say who have been misdiagnosed is there's almost relief in knowing that there's something actually wrong with you because otherwise you'd just feel like mentally crazy. Yeah. And actually that um, reminds me of a a story that um, I've read and been appalled by is that um, there was a teenage girl who had pain in the middle of her shin. So she went to her doctor, and the doctor said that it was growing pains. You don't have growing pains in the middle of your shin. Mm-hmm. So they went to another doctor. Right. The, uh, another doctor said the same thing. And they went to a third doctor, said the same thing. It wasn't until the tumor in her shin ruptured the bone oh my God. that they finally found the cancer. Right. And she died. Oh, so wow. here's the thing that makes me sad is that people don't believe kids. So Martha, my roommate, who at Andover had all sorts of quote-unquote arthritis in her knee, would go to the infirmary. And the infirmary was like, oh, you're fine. you know." And she was playing squash and tennis, and she was about to try to get to Dartmouth. And she kept saying, you know, I'm in a lot of pain. But they'd say, well, you played tennis today or you played squash today. This went on for months and to the point where she was taking aspirin and all sorts of painkillers and it wasn't masquerading the pain. I finally said to her, you know, I think the infirmary is screwing you over. I really think you need to see a real doctor. So we called her parents and I said, you know, Martha's in a lot of pain. Like she's not faking it. So they were like, oh, well, let's wait till she gets home. So they took her to Chicago, and the Chicago doctor said, uh, you got to go to the Mayo Clinic right now. This was 1977. So they take her to the Mayo Clinic, and they're like, okay, you're 17. We're going to treat you like a grown-up. We're not going to bullshit you. We think you have bone cancer. And she goes, I was so happy to be told what was going on and have somebody treat me like a grown-up. I felt like for the first time I was in control of my own disease. And mm. that is something kids lack. They lack the sense of ownership of like they get sort of told fairy tales and whatever. Their parents are told what's going on. But, you know, I think kids have to be owning the disease, the treatment, the cure, their life. And I feel like we should treat kids like really people that we respect. Yeah, and one of the, the biggest issues in diagnosing uh children's cancers and diseases in general um, is that when we're talking about adults Mm. and diseases that they may get, um, adult doctors rule out the scary stuff first. Right. Mm. And with kids, they rule out the scary stuff last when it's too late. It's so interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And the, the trouble with pediatric cancer is, you know, first of all, there's this misconception that it's so unbelievably rare. So the doctors aren't looking for it because they think it's so rare and the child's not going to have cancer. You know, it's it's a growing pain or they're being dramatic or, you know, it'll go away, whatever it is. But you have 
you have a patient who is young and, and growing and has a high metabolic rate. Right. Their cancers are going to have a higher metabolic That's rate right. and grow faster. I mean, when Healthy my grandmother most. got cancer at 80, her doctor said, leave it. It's not going right. to kill her before something else does. Right, right. So, but you put a brain tumor in a two-year-old and it grows a whole lot faster. Sure. So if you aren't looking and you've got a delayed diagnosis, mm-hmm. on average, it's, you know, it's about three months in the delayed mm-hmm. diagnosis. Most children's cancers can kill you within 10 to 12 months. Right. right? You delay three months. Um, 80% of children's cancers have already metastasized by the time they're diagnosed because right. there is no early detection or screening. That's right. And, you know, and then the, the problem is compounded by the fact that the children's cancer only gets 3% of all the research money. Right. And so oh, we got to I have to hold you on that. Elizabeth? Right, no, you're, you're absolutely right. The healthy host issue. Hi, you're on Morph Mom Moments. Hello? 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 I'm sorry. Hi, what's your name, caller? Hey, my last name is Adami. My first name is Guy. Hi, Guy Adami. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good, thank you. Do you have a question? I have a I have a question and I have a request. Actually, my question is, you know, I've read about Malcolm's story, and I would be interested to know if his mom Julie would be interested in being a nominee for the Woman of the Year with the Leukemia Society this year. Now, it's a, obviously I'm probably surprising her with that, but. I think it's a tremendous honor. Um, I'm very familiar with the association and something that she'd be interested in doing. We'd love to have her as one of our one of our nominees. Oh, guy, I'm flattered. You know, you call out of left field, and uh, we haven't we haven't even met. Is surprised, and um, yeah, email me, Juliet, make noise for kids dot org, and um, that would be great. We've got a, in fact, we've got a gala coming up on Saturday, February 27th. If you if you're interested in coming to see us in action. Where 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 is it? It is at the Park Savoy in Florham Park, New Jersey, which is very familiar with it. Yeah, cool venue. Used to be Speakeasy, and this is our seventh annual event. So we decided to have a lot of fun with it. It's the last one before Malcolm heads off to college. So we're we've got a whole bunch of casino game casino tables, and we've got the Blue Vipers Blue Vipers of Brooklyn are coming to do a lot of you know Dixieland blues and swing. We got some swing dancers coming, and a lot of great stuff coming on. And the National Angel Quilt for Childhood Cancer um, will be on display as well. And Malcolm, that's will be there. fantastic. And I got to tell, I don't know if your son can hear, but his artwork is unbelievable. I saw it in, in the uh, wow. in the Fine Arts Center. It's it's, it's really wonderful stuff. So. Just wanted to reach out and say, you know, you guys are doing amazing work, and congratulations on everything, and you're you're both inspirational. Thank you very much. I have Pleasure. to say hats off to Julie, because I think as a mom, being your child's advocate and also giving them the room to grow is a very delicate balance, because you want to be there for them, but you don't want to smother them, and so I give you huge credit for the work you're doing. Thank you. You know, we um, you know, when Malcolm was ten in treatment and um, saw children around him dying, and, and decided he needed to incorporate a nonprofit to raise children's cancer research, um, I got chills because I had never seen a cause that needed to be championed more than this. And through our six years in running the organization, you know, we, we raise, we travel the country nationally. We've got a touring exhibit. We we raise awareness, and we we certainly it's all about funding research, and we fund research at, at labs all over the country. But I've met thousands and thousands of families whose children are battling cancer, and some of these these 
these children, first of all, if you ever watch a child battle cancer, it is the most inspiring thing you have ever seen. It's such a gift to see this. I mean, it's, it's horrible, and you wish you could do anything to take that child's cancer away. But they are so inspiring because they're completely selfless. They're still smiling. They're still... You know, they, they are worried about everybody but themselves. You know, they're, they're worried about mommy and they're worried about daddy and, and the siblings. And they're smiling all through treatment. And it is incredibly inspiring to, to watch children. But unfortunately, we've seen so many of our friends battle, you know, be diagnosed at three, four, five years old, battle for three, four, five years, pass away by the age of nine after battling more than half their lives. So we, we work seven days a week for free to raise research funds because we continue to watch our friends bury their children and no child no no parent should buy ever bury a child i agree i mean look malcolm you're the beacon of hope for so many people and one of the things that you're going to have to balance in your life is how much this becomes part of your identity as a grown-up and how much you want to give back to that community i mean when i was at self i I asked everyone on the staff what brought them to Self Magazine. There was a huge number of people who had had a childhood cancer that I had no idea about. And these are women in the production department or the art department or, you know, the research department. I was like, I had no idea. They were like, yeah, I was in St. Jude's as an 11-year-old, and I wanted to grow up and devote my life to well-being and a lifestyle that was healthy and, you know, being who you want to be. And it was like, they had never told me that. And then they told me one day, and I was like, wow, it blew my mind. It was very cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's surprising to find out um, how many people there are that have actually been through it. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, Guy, thank you so much for calling. And yeah, um, it's my pleasure. I just, I just saw an email that went around, and I wanted to get a quick call in. And again, continued success and continued congratulations on your amazing work. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, oh, we have another caller. I don't think they're there now. Oh, we might have lost them? Okay, tell me about your artwork. Is it related to your life so far? Yeah. Um, so I'm in the AP art program, and we have uh, – it's kind of a two-year course. In the second year, we have to have a concentration where we pick a specific um, subject and a specific medium to work in. So I'm doing um, portraits of children that have beaten their cancers. Wow. And it's a, a portrait of them with a certain object that was important to them during their cancer battle. And then a, a phrase that kind of describes their connection to that object. Right. That's uh, so great. So for Very inspiring. The first one was a self-portrait of myself. Um, what was your object? I was holding an Xbox controller. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Um, so I had a, a little phrase at the um, kind of on a, a little box that my leg was on uh, saying I was called to war because I played Call of Duty all the time. Oh, there you go. Um, and another friend of mine named Rachel uh, always was with her dog, and she would um, be with her dog all the time, and it, her phrase was Rachel and her sidekick. Oh, oh, nice. Oh, wow, these are beautiful. Wait, did you try? Hi, you're on Morph Mom Moments. Uh, hi. Hi, what's your name, caller? Uh, I'm Devin. Devin, do you have a question for um, Malcolm? Um, I, yeah, I do. For Malcolm, I heard um, Julie talking to Mrs. Adam, Mr. Adami, I'm sorry, Guy Adami, uh, about a gala that they're having, and I wanted to know like, if it's too late to maybe come or buy a table or what the information was about that. 
Uh, it's definitely not too late to to buy a ticket or buy a table. Um, we're always looking for more people to come to the event. Um, the more people, the better. Um, there's going to be great music. Um, so if you're interested in buying a ticket or a table or um, have friends that are interested, absolutely. It is definitely not too late. Great. And should they go to the website to look up the information? Yeah, so our, our website is uh, www.makenoise4kids.org, and that's the number four, not F-O-R, the number four. Um, so makenoise4kids.org. Um, in the event section. But here's a disclaimer. The, we're, we've, we're in the process of building a new website because the current website we have was built before the iPhone and the iPad took over the world. So it doesn't have very, uh, in fact, it doesn't have any CMS to speak of. So if you really want the scoop on the, in, with the information, go on our Facebook page. Um, you can get there from our website. You can get to the, you can get to the Facebook page. So go to makenoiseforkids.org. So it's makenoise4kids.org. Um, and then scroll down. If you look at, the, you can either go on the events section or you can go look for a really small Facebook icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Um, and that's, that'll take you to our Facebook page. But if you look for us on Facebook, it's Make Noise for Kids. And there's stuff about, um, there's, the event invitation is right there. You'll find it. Also, I just want you to know that this is Lucy here. I think it is so great when people dig into their pockets. And I'm not wealthy by any means, but one of the joys of my life is giving to these charities. It just makes me feel like there's meaning to the money I've made. And whatever I can do to help other people, it just makes you feel so much better about your own life. So I go to Challenge Athletes and I put my paddle in the air and I buy like a thousand dollar leg for some little kid who couldn't run around otherwise because you only get um, walking prosthetics through insurance and if you want a sport leg you need to actually spend up to thirty thousand dollars and I feel like it sort of supercharges these kids to be racing around on a soccer field or running or you know swimming and it it feels like you're giving back to a life that you had, you know, you were athletic growing up and it just helps people reconnect to the life they want. So I give you huge kudos that you want to spend money and go to this gala. I think that it'll make you happy and it'll help other people. Yeah, and then the, we're dedicating the event to uh, two of Malcolm's friends, uh, Brooke Mulford, who lives in Voorhees, New Jersey, and uh Logan James Parker, who lives in Oakhurst, because both of these friends are little kids that Malcolm met years ago, and Logan was just, he's nine, and he was just diagnosed with his fifth cancer, Oh my god! and Brooke has been battling for seven years, and so they both recently got some really rough news, and, and, and they're bracing to fight again, and um, so we... Uh, we're dedicating the night to both of them, and a shout out right. to um, Stephen Crane, who um, who fought Ewing's twice and he's now fighting a secondary cancer because chemo causes cancer and he's fighting AML right. at Memorial Sloan Kettering right now. Um, and so we're dedicating the night to these to these kids and the research funds are going to support their cancers, That's their good. cancer research because too many of the children's cancers don't have cures if you relapse. And right. so we, uh, we fund right. translational research and a lot of immunotherapy and, and stuff. And Devin, I just want to thank you so much for calling in. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Malcolm, how's your uh, like hip now? Are you able to walk and handle stuff? Yeah, I can. I can walk. I can sort of jog. Wow, um, that's good. <laughs> uh, what's interesting about 
I never finished the story about my treatment, um, but the, the surgery was originally, um, at my diagnosis, I was given a 50% chance of living. Um, and if I did live, I most likely would not have my right leg. Wow. Um, I do have my right leg. I'm looking at it. <laughs> it's very uh, handsome in the shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And uh, so the what happened with the surgery is we, my doctor saw that my tumor had shrunken enough that it was just my right ilium, which is kind of the wingy hip bone. Um, it was just that bone, and he could go in and take that out and nothing else. Um, so it looked good, and he would just... Um, use kind of a, a cable to anchor the top of my femur to my pubic bone. But when he got in, he realized that since I was 10 years old, my bones hadn't fully developed. So he there was too much cartilage um, that could mm-hmm. potentially break um, when anchoring the top of my femur to my pubic bone. So he kind of just left it there floating um, with the idea that if I were to be immobilized for long enough, a mm-hmm. scar tissue socket would form mm-hmm. around my femur. Which would be helpful. Right. Right. Um, so sort instead of pretending of, to be a bone, it's scar exactly. Right. So it's it's a a new ball and socket joint uh, for my femur, it's which scar tissue. yeah, it's just scar <laughs> tissue, but yeah, it works. That's sort of creative thinking on the part of your doctor. Yeah, it was. Um, it's definitely a testament to his skill because you know you you go into a surgery with a plan, you're going to do it, and then right. you, you get in there and you it's not what you expect. Um, so uh, I am indebted to him for. Mm-hmm. Uh, my life, honestly, um, and That's my great. leg. What's his name? His name is John Dormans. Nice. Dr. John Dormans. Nice. Um, he's since moved from CHOP to uh, Texas. So a similar story. So Jennifer Lynn, who started Cycle for Survival, said that a lot of the protocol um, changed so fast because of the money that the doctors got from her event that she was able to benefit from some of the early sort of trials that they were doing on these um, chemotherapy sort of new age treatments that sort of kept her cancer from growing and it would shrink. She had like six surgeries and all this stuff. And finally, she was supposed to live six months. She lived like over six years. And somebody said, well, what are you going to do on your 40th birthday? I was like, I never thought I'd see my 40th birthday. So there was no one more optimistic than Jennifer, and she felt like she really helped open the door towards the idea that you can make change happen. An individual, one person, through raising money, through raising awareness, through bringing people to what is really, really scary edge of disease treatment can make a difference. And one of the things I feel like is so important is talking about how Living with a chronic disease is a reality of life, and people shouldn't be scared to talk about it. It shouldn't be like Voldemort, like he who can't be named. It's like The C word. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like if you can talk about it, you can beat it, and you can like make it part of life, and you can sort of encapsulate it in a way that gives you more power than cancer. So one of the things I really believe in is that we're all living with something, like I'm sort of secretly a crazy person and somebody else has something else they're living with. You happen to be living with cancer, but that doesn't make you sort of weird. It just makes that's your thing. But everybody has something, you know? You know what I'm saying? It's like my mother has Alzheimer's. Everybody says it's hereditary, so I assume that I'm going to be wackadoodle pretty soon. But I'm going to tell you that we're all living with something. So, like, life is about putting up with the thing that you have to live with, but that's life. 
So that's kind of good. More than putting up with it, someone like Malcolm and someone like yourselves uses those things to help other people, to spread the word, to make the noise, um, you know, to bring things into the light, which is amazing. Yeah, something yeah. my mom would, would tell me uh, during treatment is uh, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's what you do with the things that life throws at you. I agree. And Your mom's very smart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so as we're all sitting here, so for those of you who have just joined in or recently joined in, so Malcolm is 17 years old. He's a senior in high school about to go on to college. When Malcolm was 10, he was diagnosed with cancer and has been battling various repercussions from that as well. But that's not the focus of what's been going on for the past seven years. The past seven years, Malcolm has devoted himself to this foundation called Make a Noise to raising awareness for cancer, for children's pediatric cancer, as well as the funding for that and the and spreading the word. And your mom and I, Malcolm, spoke today about how this all came to be. And I don't know if you would share the story of how Make Some Noise came to be and what, in the past seven years, that, again, from the... Keeping in mind, again, he, age seven, 10 to age 17, he travels the country, he speaks to people, he's been on radio shows, he's been on television shows, um, and we only have a few minutes left, but I, I would like you to just share that quickly and what your message is and what it is that you want everybody out there to know. Sure. Um, so there were a lot of things that kind of came together to make me have this idea, um, learning the different facts about children's cancer that kids only get... Uh, less than 3% of the cancer research funding. Hmm. But the straw that broke the camel's back came on a night uh, when I was, it was just my mom and I in the hospital. Um, it was after my surgery, so I was in a big blue body cast, and we were kind of just hanging out. And at CHOP, the hospital gets real quiet after about 8 o'clock at night, unless you're over the emergency room. Um, so it was really quiet. We were It was probably 11 o'clock or so. And... The uh, the silence was suddenly broken by a scream and a crash, mm. and we learned that uh, it was it was a mom and she'd lost her son Michael who was three years old. Oh my, oh my god! And it was at that point in time that I realized that Michael wasn't going to grow up. He wasn't gonna get to graduate high school go to college, get married, have children, all those things that parents want for their children. Uh, he wasn't going to be able to do that. And the world didn't stop to remember Michael. It didn't cause companies to rethink their corporate giving structure. A, a kid dies of salmonella poisoning in some random state, and the whole country goes crazy. But right. a child dies of cancer, and it seems like nobody cares. So it was that point in time that I turned to my mom and said, we have to make some noise about this. And I, this whole business plan came pouring out of me mm -hmm. um, with headlining musicians doing music benefits to, because I think the best way to spread this message is through music. Um, and obviously I had to finish my treatment first, but once I finished my treatment, we hit the ground running and since then have raised almost $2 million for kids' cancer wow. research. that's and amazing. I hate Great. to interrupt this and I can't believe we have one minute left. Um, I can't thank you both enough. We've had the most amazing guests tonight. A guest tonight, Lucy Danziger, Hinted dot com is amazing, amazing, amazing. And then we have Malcolm and Julie, who you've just heard with Make Some Noise, amazing. And please go to their Facebook to check this, to check out the event that's coming up. And as I said, there is some reason that we get together, and there are reasons that people meet. And I think between Hinted dot com and with the section of charities and Make Some Noise with Malcolm, who's making a whole lot of noise around the country, and we all need to listen. Um, 
There is a reason we were all here tonight, so I invite you all to, jo- to visit Hinted.com, to visit Make Some Noise, and come to MorphMom.com. We will have the radio show up and going. Thank you all for coming tonight, Thanks, and we'll see you next you. week. Thank you again, Elizabeth, for Good all of your help. Thank, thank you, Lucy. You. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you, Julie. And um, again, we'll see you next if week. If you served honorably in our nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school, see your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them. And make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education.